the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Is this a regular bear market for cryptos, or will it be different this time? Bitcoin has behaved very much like the Nasdaq in recent months. In years past, Bitcoin was famed for its volatility, but in recent weeks, it's been an anchor of stability relative to the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. And whichever way Bitcoin goes, so go the rest of the cryptos. Markets are bleeding everywhere as interest rates trend higher to combat the global scourge of inflation. There's a gathering consensus that markets will resume their recovery once the interest rate cycle peaks sometime in 2023. But is this the case? And will Bitcoin march in lockstep with the rest of the financial markets or will it break ranks and forge a path of its own? Well, joining us to dissect the state of the markets and cryptos in particular is Marius Reitz, General Manager for Africa at Crypto Exchange Luno. Welcome, Marius. This is not the first time you've been on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, but it's good to have you here in the studio for a change. Yeah, thanks, Kieran. Thanks for the invite. I look forward to the conversation. Okay, Marius, we are now nearly a year into the crypto bear market, or the crypto winter, as some would call it, and that's a long time. Should we be getting worried that things look bleak all over the world with financial markets losing trillions of dollars in value as inflation spikes to levels that we haven't seen in decades and interest rates are being ratcheted up to combat inflation? Because cryptos are kind of market in lockstep with the rest of the financial markets. Yes, Kieran. So I think, you know, in general, good times, you know, in, in markets are generally followed by by tough times, right? And and I think the key point there is that markets are cyclical. Um, we've seen the same in, in crypto. We've been through probably fifteen or twenty of these of these cycles where we where the market would rally and then pull back and and we currently, you know, in almost a year a long pullback cycle or bear cycle. And in this period, inflation has become very part you know, of our daily lives. We're staring at the, the gas station, you know, at the, at the grocery store. We're feeling it everywhere. As you mentioned, crypto has not been spared as well. And so what happens during times of market uncertainty is that investors, you know, first liquidate their riskier assets like cryptocurrencies, equities, and you see this flight to safety to the US dollar, which we've seen, and to cash in general. And, and I think not even bonds have been Speed, you know, over the last couple of months. We're also seeing inflation in developed markets at the highest point since 1980 or in the 1980s. And during these times of extreme inflation, reserve banks, central banks actually had to, you know, put these countries into a recession to try and curb inflation. So that's by raising interest rates, you know, drastically to limit public spending or spending in the markets. But, you know, there's also fine balance. You know, you don't really want to put markets in a recession. So you're trying to raise interest rates just to such an extent that the markets actually recover from there without putting the market under a lot of pressure and stress. So, and I think that is what is sending out the signal to the market. It's causing a lot of confusion and complexity. And I think that explains the extreme levels of volatility that we've seen across financial markets globally. So, you know, the global uh, recession hurts risk appetite, as I said, and, and, you know, which risky, you know, assets typically get liquidated first. So we have seen cryptocurrency performing uh, in close tandem with uh, the NASDAQ. NASDAQ, I think, is down 30, 30% over the last year. Bitcoin is down 40 to 50%. We've seen a strong correlation between between cryptocurrencies and, and tech stocks and stocks in general. And I think it's it's just a factor of, of global uncertainty. I think we will get through this. We will probably, you know, as soon as we start seeing inflation slow down, we'll probably, we can probably start expecting, you know, a, a recovery from, from that point. And 
current inflation levels in South Africa, specifically in the US, range between 7.5 and 8.2%. So that's it's a lot higher than than inflation targets in those countries, which which average you know which range between three and four percent. So I think there's still a long way to go. But I think as soon as we start seeing inflation, the inflation curve uh, dipping again, that could see, you know, send out a positive signal to uh, to markets. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd be looking at a situation where yeah. South Africa's got lower inflation than you have in the Northern Hemisphere? I think this is the first time this has happened since the 1970s. Just talking about where the bottom is in this market, I was looking at some of the, the, the metrics that are used quite commonly to analyze Bitcoin, one being the 200-week moving average. Now, we, Bitcoin is currently trading below the 200-week moving average, but whenever it's done that, it does kind of form a bottom at that point. And in previous years, it's actually spent a year, you know, 10 months to 12 months below the 200-week moving average before recovering. So, and a lot of people are saying we are going to hit this this interest rate peak in about the early part of 2023, at which point we should start to see cryptos recovering. I guess that brings me back to my question, is this different or is this just another cycle that we've been through before? I think it's it's just another cycle that we've been through. The impact has been a bit more severe because of the global complexity. But I think if you look at cryptocurrency specifically, what happened during uh, COVID uh, 2020, 2021 is, uh, you know, governments you know, essentially gave people cash through through grants and all that money, you know, f- flowed back into the economy. It pumped up people's savings pockets and people spent the money. And so that's why we saw this inflated cryptocurrency market or cryptocurrency prices, you know, from mid-2020 to, to mid-2021 for a 12-month period because people had excess cash. And, and then the market had to had to pull back. We started entering this interest rate hike cycle and we're currently still in that. So I do think it's the same trend that we've seen in the past with cryptos. It's just a little bit more severe at this point because crypto has over the last you know, two to three years been integrated into the global financial system more so than previous cycles. So whereas 2018-2019 cycle, there was a weaker correlation between crypto assets and equities, for example. Because of institutional interest demand, more uh, crypto investment products like, like crypto ETFs in the U.S., uh, crypto unit trusts in the U.S., it's become more integrated. And we've, we've also seen more retail interest. So especially across emerging markets, um, a lot more retail investors are buying crypto crypto assets as, as an investment. And again, coming back to the to the earlier point, during times of uncertainty, you know, the first asset type of asset that investors will get rid of is high-risk assets like, like crypto and equities. So I think that's why over the last six months, They've moved more in tandem than previously and will likely continue to be the case. We currently, over the last two weeks, we've seen lower volatility in the crypto markets. And, and it almost seems that if there's a slight decoupling of crypto from equities, um, I think in, in September, crypto was the, the best performing asset class, if you can call it that, across all asset classes globally. So that was an interesting point. Not sure if that's pure chance uh, or if, the, if there's some method behind it or math behind that. But um, Yeah, and the, and the volatility <laughs> being lower than equities, that's yeah. also history in the making. I mean, that hasn't happened yeah. for a long time. Okay, there's been some good news and some bad news on the, on the crypto front this year. Let's focus on some of the good news first. In August, the Reserve Bank issued a guidance note telling the banks, we're talking about the South African banks here, that it's okay to work with crypto exchanges. And this comes after several banks, no doubt afraid of the risks, they withdrew their banking relationships with crypto exchanges. Have you seen a change in attitude from the banks since then? 
Kieran, that's definitely a positive development. And that, that guidance note that was issued by the, the Prudential Authority is in stark contrast to some of the other markets um, that we operate in. We typically see that that in, in countries where there's no blanket restriction, so there's no ban from a central bank's perspective on uh, commercial banks from, from ba- uh, banking cryptocurrency businesses, those markets typically see a bit of progress in terms of policy um, for, for crypto specifically. There's more collaboration between private and public sector uh, and there's also more innovation in those countries. So it's very really encouraging to see the, the South African Reserve Bank taking that positive you know, step and, and, and being pragmatic. I also think that when there's clarity like this, uh, the use cases are better understood. So, and, and also, it, it also encourages better collaboration between cryptocurrency platforms and other you know, financial institutions and regulators, such as the Financial Intelligence Center, Sabric, Samnet, and all these almost watchdogs. So I think you know, de-risk should really be the last resort. And uh, the Prudential Authority also highlighted this in the in the guidance note that de-risking could actually pose a, a greater risk to banks or de-risking of cryptocurrency platforms could pose a greater risk to financial institutions than keeping them honest clients. And, and there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, at Luno's primary banker in, I think it was around mid or early to mid to 2020, closed our bank account and they did the, the same for the rest of the industry. But, you know, almost 300... You're talking about f there. Yeah, but almost... 300,000 of, of their customers still actively use Luna at the time, right? So did you de-risk yourself from the industry or did you just you know, create a situation where you have less visibility and where there's less transparency to get information about these customers' behaviors? I think there's also a big consumer risk aspect here, right? Cryptocurrency businesses play a very important role in the crypto industry or in the, in the economy. And I think firstly, from a price stability perspective, it's very important for crypto platforms to maintain good liquidity on exchanges. That ensures that there's a stable cryptocurrency price um, with market depth. The prices are more aligned with with global prices. um, So it creates less of an arbitrage opportunity and it it offers the public a safe avenue to purchase crypto. So with the absence or with with the lack of a, a bank account, Cryptocurrency platforms can't fulfill these important functions in the the crypto economy. So it's very, very important. In the absence of that, the market gets pushed underground. And, and that's what we're seeing in countries like Nigeria at this point, where, where cryptocurrency businesses have to uh, develop new uh, business models to continue doing business and to continue servicing the demand um, from a consumer perspective. You know, I think it's too early to say whether there's been a, a change in, in, in attitude or, or a clear interest. But what I can say is that... Um, we have engaged with a couple of uh, South African banks over the last three to six months, all interested in learning more about crypto, especially from a, a monitoring and compliance perspective. So I, I do think um, that to some extent, the Prudential authorities know around uh, encouraging banks to, to learn more, to, to upskill their, their team members, to also be able to to, to understand crypto compliance. I, I definitely think that, that had a positive impact. If you ask me, did banks open up you know, bank accounts for cryptocurrency platforms over the last three to six months, probably not. Mm-hmm. That will probably come in, in future. But it, it's been encouraging to see the, the level of interaction and engagement between banks and, and cryptocurrency platforms. It's definitely upped as a certain level over the last couple of months. I think it's fair to say, and I mean, all the, 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 the reputable exchanges in South Africa are spending a lot of resources, money and personnel on compliance. Uh, I mean, you really are taking that 
very, very seriously because you understand the risks that are associated with, uh, and we'll, we'll come to this in a, in a minute. I mean, some of the bad news that came out of the, the crypto industry in October, the scale of the hacks, $718 million was stolen from decentralized finance protocols. Okay, that's not your line of country. You're not in that space. But that doesn't do much good for the, the reputation of the industry. So people like yourself, like Vela, Alcorn Trader, people like that are spending, I imagine, huge amounts of money on, on ensuring compliance that you're staying on the right side of regulation, even though you're not regulated at the moment, mm. but you are anticipating that that will come. Yes, Kieran, I think, you know, we, we've been in business since since 2013, and, and from very, very early stages, compliance has been a, a very important part of the business for us. Um, we recognize that uh, in a new industry that's not regulated and that will become regulated soon, it's very important to build trust. So we have built or shored up our compliance team over the last couple of years to a team of over 100 team members. Now, I think that's bigger than… That's uh, just uh, in South Africa? It's a majority in South Africa, but they service the our global operations. But, I, I you know, I think that… But even still, that's probably double or triple the compliance you know, team sizes at some of the, the, the new emerging or, or challenger banks. So it, it's a very, very important focus of ours. Um, we have recently started doing um, or putting out a proof of reserve reports. Um, so once a quarter, uh, we, we, we verify that or independently gets verified that the, the crypto assets that customers store on Luna is safely counted for and the digits that customers see on their Luna apps is actually exist in the background. And that's Mazars, I think. Mazars, yes. Yeah. We have uh, become ISO certified from information uh, security perspective. We have you know, continued working with firms like Chainalysis and Elliptic on the transaction monitoring side. We have the ability to screen sanction lists. We have the ability to, to screen uh, incoming crypto transactions that arise from, from, from sanctioned wallets or in sanctioned countries or from sanctioned individuals. So there's a lot of uh, work that goes on behind the scenes uh, that you know often creates these misconceptions about crypto and compliance that, that's not existent. So I think there's obviously a clear separation between pure old scams that use cryptocurrency uh, just as a replacement for fiat currency. You still get fiat scams as well, and then you obviously have, have hacks. You know? So those are security incidents. Those are because certain platforms or protocols have low or no regard for, for security, for safety. And I think what happens is the industry is very exciting. You know, there's a lot of momentum in, in the industry, regardless of the, the prices being under pressure at this point. So I think many of these projects or protocols rush to the market. They, you know, almost like startups, you know, don't necessarily have, have the know-how, the knowledge in terms of how to, how to build a secure platform, um, typically try and patch code when cracks arise. And what we've seen over the last couple of months is we've seen, you know, auditing firms like Mazars and, and Moore and, and, and these guys and compliance firms and as, as well as transaction monitoring firms firms like, like Chainalysis getting much more involved in the industry and, and I think it's as a result of the demand. So I, I do think that there is a shift and there's an acknowledgement that, that the industry can do better from a security perspective. So, you know, I think that's why when you're new to crypto as a potential investor um, and you want to, uh, you're curious and you want to dip your toes into crypto, you know, you have to do a little bit of research and work to find a, a reputable platform with a track record uh, you know, of, of no hacks, no security incidents. And, and you have that at Luna. Look, uh, yeah, and at Luna, we, I'm 
proud to say that that you know since our finding in 2013, we've not had any customer funds being compromised. We've not had any customer information being compromised, uh, and we continue to invest heavily in that side of the business. So, so, so yeah, I think it's it's a it's an evolving industry. It's a growing industry that grows at a rapid pace, and you know these incidents will happen, but it's not acceptable at all. Right, and I think one of the things that people would understand about crypto security, it, it's become a huge global yeah. industry, and there there are. Uh, various various different levels of of crypto security, institutional grade, being the the level the only level which institutions would accept. Cold storage is when you're you're, you're storing crypto away from the internet, right? Like on a flash drive or a hard drive. I'm sure you have much more sophisticated hardware tools than a flash drive. And then a hot wallet is when you know a person wants to transact and he wants to move his crypto onto the exchange to sell. Or to transfer or do something with it, right? So there are a lot of technologies built around this, and I'm sure you've you've spent a lot of money on that. No, for sure, Kieran. It, it gets very very complex, but but in a nutshell, you know, you get custody solutions that that's not connected to the internet, and that's what they call a deep freeze or or a cold wallet, and then you then you get the hot wallet. At Luna, we follow the the, the same approach at at a, at a very high level. So the vast majority of customer funds, in more than ninety percent. Or 95% actually stored offline, so no hacker can access that through, you know, a, a cybercrime. And there's obviously proper controls and segregation of duties around how, you know, the, the the crypto funds in in cold storage can be accessed. Then we maintain a very very small balance in in the in the hot wallet. Um, and there's obviously a lot of controls and processes built around that as well. And that balance is used to process uh, daily uh, incoming and outgoing crypto transactions. And there's, there's a lot of security built around that because that is the vulnerability point is when it's hot, when the wallet is hot, right? Yeah. Connected to the internet. Yeah, correct. So a couple of controls, you know, for example, most cryptocurrency platforms use uh, third parties as well, such as BitGo or, uh, or Fireblocks, and, and these parties act as um, signing partners. So for each and every outgoing transaction that leaves the hot wallet, uh, an independent third party must also verify that transaction. So in the event that Luna gets hacked, for example, uh, there's an additional layer of security that, that uh, the third party must also do their checks and balances to ensure that the, the request is legitimate. Right. So so there's a lot of checks and balances. Um, we have also, unfortunately, have had to, to, to build some friction in, into the app as well. So, for example, when, when customers open their Luna accounts or open a Luna account and they fund it, the, the option to send out cryptocurrency is disabled. And that's a security process in the event that a customer's account could get compromised through clicking on a phishing SMS or on, a, on a, a, a suspicious link. And what happens then is customers have to go through security process where they enable the ability to send out crypto. And there's a security process around that. So that's just an additional layer of security. The reality is that most Luna customers never send out crypto. They only buy, buy and sell or buy and hold. Um, if I... Not mistaken, I think you know ten or fifteen times more customers just buy and hold than than send out crypto. Glassnode brings out this research, which is showing a trend of people hodling. In other words, they mm. they buy Bitcoin, as you just mentioned, with a view to holding it for the long term. Now, even though the prices are down so much, the, a lot of people are sitting underwater. In other words, they they paid more for the Bitcoin than mm. it's currently worth. Yet, a large and growing percentage is intending to hold this for the long term. In other words, they're not quite treating this as a normal asset like an equity. They, they see this as maybe the future of money. Uh, they see an ability to transact in ways that were not possible before. Is that your experience with Luna? People buying and holding? 
Kieran, I think more so, yes. So we're seeing a trend over the last year or so that the average transaction sizes have actually increased. So so the, the first transaction that customers do on Luna is it's actually of higher value. We've seen customers holding on to their crypto for longer. So whereas it, it was, I think, you know, six six or seven months in 2020, that's increased to, to 10 months in 2022. So customers on average hold on for 10 months before they, before they sell their assets again. Um, and we're also seeing more customers buying at regular intervals on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. So, so that's so, the average, the dollar cost averaging, they call it, buying at the same time every month, yeah, regardless of price. Yeah, correct. So these are all indicators that perhaps investors or crypto holders are becoming a little bit more savvy, although there's still a lot of speculation um, in, in the markets. But all of these use cases or these investment use cases actually work together. So you have uh, long-term investors, they they buy when prices dip or um, drops. They Then you have speculators that frantically sell when t- the price just moves 2 to 3% because they think the price will continue dropping lower. Um, and you also have traders uh, that, that trade high volume but low margin. And, and that's also good for, for, for any exchange because it, it provides liquidity. Uh, it ensures uh, market depth. So it prevents uh, things like price slippage uh, where, where customers end up getting a, a, a very, very bad average price because of, of low liquidity. So I think you know, all of these use cases to, to some extent work together you know, to, to, to ensure a healthy, a healthy exchange, healthy liquidity on the exchange. And, and in, in the end you know, protect consumers from a price perspective as well. So, so yeah, we, we, we continue to see the, the use cases from speculating to investing change, um, Kieran, over time. And an interesting point there is, is I think that we, we're seeing different adoption curves across different regions, uh, you know, different countries in regions as well. In the U.S., um, where you have uh, crypto futures, you know, ETFs, you have unit trusts, you've got more regulation on that side. Institutional interest from an investment perspective, listed companies holding crypto on their balance sheet, um, but also financial institutions. Most big banks in the, in the U.S. currently have some form of custody solution that they offer to their high net worth customers. So there's a completely different adoption curve in the U.S. compared to South Africa, for example, where you know, we have very, very little institutional uh, you know, adoption at this point, mainly because of a lack of regulation and lack of clarity on, on, on that side of things. Financial advisors are not yet able to advise their clients uh, you know, to invest in crypto. And the reality is that most people that have got existing investments somewhere along the line use a financial advisor or intermediary you know to assist them with a transaction so those the segment of the market that currently buys crypto you know we're seeing is that people with existing investments those without any investments at this point they're not yet active in the market i think that will come over the next two to three years um as you know disposable income grows and and as more people become educated on crypto and technology and come online you know for the first time so I think over the next year or two or three years, we will see that level of investment and more sophisticated investment coming to South Africa and, and the rest of Africa as well. But for that to happen, we need market infrastructure to be in place. We need regulation to be in place. And until, that, until such time, it'll, it'll mostly be DIY, do-it-yourself investors, retail investors that you know, um, right. enter the market. I mean, we had um, Petrock Investments on uh, quite recently on the MoneyWeb Crypto podcast, and they've just done some research showing that yeah. They interviewed about 240 financial advisors. Their clients, the, the clients of these financial advisors are investing in crypto, but 
not taking the advice of financial advisors themselves. You know, the DIY investors, they, they, they've heard about crypto, they've heard about Bitcoin, they're jumping in. But financial advisors themselves in this country are themselves invested. So there, there's a little bit of a breakage in that link there, you know, where financial advisors can't or they don't feel that they don't have the expertise to be able to advise or it's against their regulations or whatever it is. But people are investing and the adoption rate in South Africa is is high by world terms. That's an interesting thing. No, for sure. I think you know, there are more than seven million people in South Africa that, that own crypto. And I think that's just, you know, the back of a of a of a, a Soviet, you know, calculation. If you look at the different the, the, the different cryptocurrency platforms in South Africa and the size of the, the client base, and so I, I agree. I, I think you know, currently it's it, it's mostly DIY investors, and, and, and I think that to, to an extent that's why Luna experienced good growth over the last couple of years. Just on on that point, um, in April this year, you hit 10 million customers worldwide, right? Where do you stand now, and, and how many countries are you in? So, Karen, we, we are just over 11 million customers now. So, so growth slowed down over the last couple of months. Um, um, but, you know, we, we, despite the, 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 the slower growth, I think we're still very happy with where we're at at this point. Um, when markets pull back um, and we entered these you know, prolonged bear markets, it actually gives cryptocurrency platforms time to, to regroup, um, time to, to, to reassess strategy, um, time to uh, you know, improve critical functions such as customer support, compliance, and, and, and all of those things. So I think we've been through a very, very good period in terms of the business. We've also expanded the coin offering on Luna. So we've added four new coins over the last couple of months. And what um, were they? Ada, so Cardano, Solana, um, Link, um, and Uniswap. Okay. Um, so a couple of proof of stake coins, and, and, and are those uh, you can purchase them with with rands? Yes, yeah, yeah correct, okay. correct. Yeah. So we we currently offer 10, 10 cryptos, which is still a, a limited you know, number. Obviously, go through a very rigorous vetting process before we decide to add to add specific coins. So, but most importantly is customer demand. There has to be a customer demand for a specific coin, um, and and not only benefit a, a sort of marginal portion of our customer base. So, so um, we've also recently launched a, a new model multi-buy feature that enables you to, with one single purchase, gain access to, to a number of different or combina- different combination of, of cryptos. We've seen good uptake there. How many cryptos are you buying when you buy them? So, so you, it, it's up to you. Say you have 1,000 rand, um, you don't just you, you don't want to buy the individual coins. You, you have an option to choose between Luna's most popular coins, and those are Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and XRP. You can choose, um, you, you can split the coins the way you want, or you can, you can so, so a little bit of everything. Um, and we've actually seen good uptake there because it, it's, it's got a, almost an ETF or bundle type feel to it. And, and you can set the parameters. You can say, yeah, I, I want all 10, or I want just three yeah so it's whatever. completely up to the customer to, to decide the is, mix is there of a rebalancing fee every month for that no so uh, not uh, it, it's not it's not a bundle it's a one-off purchase um so oh, it's, it's a one-off purchase so it, it's, it's not going to ever rebalance no so okay. simply it's simply a one-off purchase um okay. yeah and you know i think and uh, what do you call it uh, uh it, it's called multi-buy <laughs> multi-buy multi-buy yes okay know. We've seen good uptake there. Um, you know, the, the industry is still daunting for for most people, and uh, you know, we have a limited coin stack on Luna, you know, just ten coins. But imagine some of the other platforms uh, with with fifty to hundred or two hundred coins. Even it's very daunting when you're first time uh, invested to decide which coins to buy. Although, you know, we always tell customers if you're new to the industry, start small and and probably start with Bitcoin because yep. it's the most well known. 
Kieran, and then just touching on coming back to the compliance side of things, we, we've also, and I think we're currently one of the most widely licensed or registered cryptocurrency platforms globally. We have just over 30 registrations or licenses across our global markets. Um, in the US, uh, we've obtained a, an operating license, a, a Securities Exchange Commission uh, license in Malaysia. Uh, we have, in principle, approval for licenses in Singapore. We've obtained a license in France. Um, we're in the process of applying for license in Nigeria. And again, that comes back to really you know, building trust for our customers to say that, listen, this platform is, is licensed. They comply with all the local rules and regulations. And most importantly, they possess of the, the capability um, and, and the skills to safeguard customer information, to safeguard customer funds. So it's, it's a very important focus of ours as, um, as well. You do aim to have, and this has been mentioned before when we've had you on the on the podcast, you want to have 1 billion customers by 2030. Okay, I mean, that, that is a very ambitious, ambitious target. I mean, it's like Facebook-level penetration, you know. Is that doable or is that kind of an aspirational goal? No, Kieran, I think we've, it's, um, it's probably a combination of, of, of the two. <laughs> if, we, if we look back over the last, the last couple of cycles, we've typically 10x our customer base every four to five years. So we went from, um, we went from um, 1 million customers to, to 10 million customers in the space of four years. So looking forward, you know, the next target should then be 100 million over the next five years and then 1 billion uh, sorry, ten years, and and, and then uh, a million customers, a billion customers five years later. But you know, you have to be realistic because the crypto world and the world we live in might look completely different by 2030. Um, the the way in which the cryptocurrency industry has grown over the last two to three years, just in terms of the new use cases that that's been unlocked. Now you're seeing the cryptocurrency markets mimic the traditional financial markets in terms of the the use cases, so from store of value or storage to earning. So interest or, or earning a return uh, on funds, for example, staking in the crypto world, investing, uh, borrowing. Uh, so we think that the crypto industry or crypto technology will enable people to use money for the same reasons. So there will always be a need for these basic services when it comes to money. But we think that cryptocurrency can, can play an important role as the underlying technology to provide a better experience, a safer experience to investors, consumers, over the next decade or so. So, and, and who knows exactly how that will look over the next the next 10 years. But as we discussed earlier, what will happen is that there will be different adoption curves across different markets. So whilst our focus currently is still very much on investing because we, we think that we are still, you know, uh, probably just beyond the early adopter phase. We are, you know, we're at the cusp of the early, the early mass market. So people think that the mass market already have access. People think that crypto is already banking the unbanked. That's not happening. You know, banking the unbanked will probably only happen you know, in the next four to five years. It's too early for that. In some markets, yes. So I think some emerging markets, you're seeing the, the need use case come to the fore much, much more stronger than in other markets. For example, you know, in Nigeria, where there's dollar scarcity and people turn to crypto for payments. Uh, but that's not banking the unbanked. That's crypto's... Uh, th- th- those are the guys who already banked. Or, you know, who, already banked. Yeah. And, and crypto is solving a, a problem for them, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at remittances, for example, that, that is a huge use case for Africa. In some countries, it's you know four or five percent of GDP. Remittances—that's money sent from Africans working in the diaspora and they're sending it home to the family. The great thing about that is the the costs of that remittance have dropped. Now, the World Bank did a study on this. The, the average cost of a, of a small transaction—if you're sending like from Joburg, you're sending a few hundred dollars from Joburg to Nairobi. The cost of that, in, on average, is 12%. I mean, that's, that's gouging. 
Now, crypto and blockchain technology has reduced that to less than 1%. So th- there should be mass adoption of this, but it's the complexity of getting people to sign up to a Luno or to understand how to work with a, a digital wallet, a crypto wallet. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think, you know, to your point around the fees, I think when, when you look at a per transaction basis, 10 or 12% commission on a per transaction basis isn't a lot. You know, it's a lot of money for that person. But it's collectively, if you look across the, the, the remittance, uh, you know, business across Africa, it's billions and billions of dollars per annum that get sucked up by intermediaries for providing a service, right? We think that crypto will, over time, probably not only in, for remittances, but many other financial services will, you know, move a lot of money that's currently lost to fees back to the pockets of consumers. Right? So that's that's an area that we're very passionate about. But there are a couple of fundamental issues across Africa still for, for widespread adoption. I think firstly, you know, I think you can probably say this for any region, for any market, I think there's a lack of, of political will. In some countries, the markets are just too tiny for the technology to grow to grow from a grassroots level up. Right? You need a critical mass of people, especially on the payments front, to be able to transact and to willingly you know, receive and, and, and send crypto as payments. And that's why the, the invest use case. You know, although if you look at Bitcoin, the, the, the initial um, you know, vision for Bitcoin was to act as an electronic peer-to-peer payment system. But in order for it to, to reach that point, you need a critical mass of people you know, to, to own crypto for you to be able to unlock network effects when it comes to the payment side of things. So the level of ownership in many African markets at, at this point is just too small. Right? There's not enough people holding crypto as an investment for them to be able to use it. That coupled with a lack of political will in certain markets where there's, there's an outright ban, which we discussed earlier, that slows down innovation. It serves as a deterrent for fintechs and, and startups to operate in, in, in those markets. And that's why I think the Central African Republic they move to classify cryptocurrency or Bitcoin as legal tender. I think there's a lot more to that than just saying Bitcoin is legal tender, right? They want to attract foreign direct investment into the country. They've got a longer term vision there, in my view, than just you know trying to to create noise. And and perhaps you know part of that plan is you know how can they leverage crypto technology and blockchain technology to advance and to grow cross border trade? Because a lot of these markets and and there are a lot of scary stories. Some of the African markets are multinationals try and, and, and repatriate their profits and, and their, their funds from those countries. It's simply not possible because of a lack of dollar, lack of you know, dollar scarcity or you know, uh, just burdensome regulation. So I think, unfortunately, it's going to take a long, long time for, for Pan-Africa to, at, at a mass market level, start using crypto technology for, um, for remittances. Have um, you moved into Central Africa Republic? No, Kieran, we've not. So, so Luna currently. So it's a bit of a small country. Eh? There's only a few million people. It's a, it's a small country. Um, mm. Yes, um, and um, you know, it's one of those markets where there's a lack of liquidity still. So you need liquidity in order for people for people to buy and sell crypto. The reality is that in many of these African markets, uh, exchange control regulations also exist. So it's not easy for a business, a crypto business, to establish themselves there, send in cryptocurrency, send out cryptocurrency to create liquidity. So there's a lot of restrictions you know, around that as well. So you have to make liquidity in the market, um, and, and that takes a lot of time. If I think back to Nigeria, Luno first started operating in Nigeria back in 2015. Um, it was a very slow, slow start, um, and it was really not until 2018, mid-2018, when the business started picking up, um, and we reached that point you know, where we had a couple of thousand 
customers that own crypto and then those network effects started to kick in and now it's a flourishing you know market there are many different cryptocurrency platforms you've got the securities commission that announced regulations for for, for the country um so they, they also uh, severed the relationship between banks and crypto exchanges <laughs> there so i mean how does that work for you yeah no it's 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 been a challenge Kieran. so you know in a nutshell the central bank issued a directive um, banning financial institutions from banking crypto companies so it's making it very difficult or close to impossible for for uh, you know for the public to safely purchase crypto or to purchase crypto on a centralized exchange like luna so it it's it's fast tracked the the peer to peer platform you know business model so you have a couple of peer to peer platforms where the the cryptocurrency platform acts as the custodian of the cryptocurrency but they don't facilitate the, the fiat transactions, so the NARA or the, the RAND purchase of crypto. So they, they almost act as a, as a marketplace. You can think of it as uh, you know, a Facebook marketplace or a Gumtree where buyers and sellers advertise the, the orders and then the buyer and seller would, would connect separately to, to transfer the funds. So that use case you know, grew tremendously in Nigeria over the last, the last year or so. And, you know, it probably indicates that, that there's a high demand for crypto in Nigeria. Right? Yeah, well, what, what is the, the premium, by the way, for, for Bitcoin above, uh, I mean, so today Bitcoin is trading at what, uh, 20,000, something like that, 20,100. What would you pay in Nigeria? Karen, so just after the ban, when you know, everything was in turmoil, prices was out of whack, um, at some point in the, the early sort of the month or two after the central bank ban, the premium shot up to 50% or so. It's come down. It's come down. Um, I am not sure what it is currently, but it, it should probably be around you know, 10, 15% still. On a, on a consistent basis. On a consistent basis, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like what South Africa was a few years ago. Not that it was always 10, 15%, but there was periods when it was 20 and 25%. Yeah. Okay, we are running out of time here, so a few quick questions for you. I see you've teamed up with Sia Khaleesi, Springbok captain, to launch a campaign encouraging South Africans to think long-term when it comes to crypto investing. How's that going? <laughs> Kieran, yeah, so we, we've been privileged to actually meet Sia in the sort of the planning phase and also the, the production phase of Luna's TV commercial. Um, such an inspirational guy. So I work from a brand perspective. Uh, Luna wants to be the, the trusted guide for people into a daunting and complex world and also perhaps, you know, complex or volatile continent as well in Africa. We want to encourage people to think long term, not only in terms of investing, but also in terms of their own personal game plans. It's important for every person to have a plan, you know, for the future. And then lastly, you know, it's that everyone is welcome, right? So it's not only the elite few or those with, you know, 5,000 rand for a minimum lump sum, you know, deposit or, you know, everyone's welcome. So, you know, CR, most, like most other South Africans, is also new to crypto. So he's not a crypto expert or investment expert. And I think people can relate to that, to CR being, being also new to crypto. So it's really exciting partnership. It's a two-year partnership. And, and so we will work with CR until you know, 2024 to, to really try and, and encourage people you know, when they think about their futures to think long-term, to craft their own game plan. And that's really the message that we're trying to get out. So it's purely an educational campaign, Kieran. It's not to encourage people to, to dip into crypto or to invest a lot. There was a question I wanted, when you were talking about you know, the scams and the security and all that yeah. kind of thing. Because there, there was a period when uh, people were you – know, Mirror Trading International, for example. You know, they, they were being coached by these people you know, who got them into this, uh, the, the scam. Uh, to go and buy on an exchange like Luno or the other exchanges and um, – and then ship it straight away to to Mirror Trading. Well, we saw how that you know how that ended up. 
Are, are you still finding scams like that going on or is that diminished? Kieran, yes, uh, we're still seeing scams, but uh, you know, to a lesser extent. Um, I think the technology, the tools available to cryptocurrency platforms such as Chainalysis have also improved. So, for example, what we do is we have integration with them. Each and every outgoing transaction, if, if the, the receiving address is associated with a known scam, you know, such as MTI, you know, two, two or so years ago, we, we actually prevent those customers from sending out the crypto. Now, that's a really harsh step to do because banks… You actually block it. Yeah, because banks don't prevent you from sending EFTs, but we just feel that we have a duty to protect our customers. Um, and in the event of MTI, you know, once it was established that it's a clear scam or a Ponzi or whatever, uh, we actually prevented customers from sending crypto there. And there was a lot of pushback from customers, you know, saying this and that. And, and but at the end of the day, I think we actually protected a lot of customers from actually losing funds towards the latter stages of, of, of MTI. So, and, and I think you've also, you've got a team, your manager in charge of this, you know, sort of protecting customers from scams. Ava, right? Yes. She, she's been on, on the podcast before. Yeah. I guess she's pretty much full-time at it, just monitoring, scanning what's going on in the market and who's scamming who. Yeah, so Ava is a head of financial crime. Um, we have, uh, you know, under, under the financial crime umbrella, we have a fraud department. The fraud department interact with the banking sector as well. So we have frequent calls and alignment sessions and sharing of typologies with banks, uh, with the, the, the FIC as well. Um, we have a compliance operations team and, and they focus you know, on the onboarding side. And then we also have you know, a financial crime team. In addition to that, we also have a compliance advisory function. So we've got a, a group group of you know over 100 compliance fund crime team members that work together you know with external parties internally to try and protect our customers so how, how many staff are you in luna now comp- just over a thousand kieran thousand. just over a thousand and i think i'm uh, again very proud in the fact that you know, there are probably you know, 700 of the thousand or 650 of the thousand being based in south africa so right. so, so um, i mean it, it for for people who don't know it is it is a company that was born in cape town but is now headquartered in london right Born in Cape Town, in Stellenbosch, um, then early beginnings in, in Cape Town, in, in uh, you know, Long or Loop Street. Um, and then we, you know, we expanded in Africa, Nigeria. We've got an office in Lagos, uh, Southeast Asia, a um, couple of offices in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and, and then head office in London. But we've also recently started operations in the U.S. So we've got an office in New York, and we're also building a team on the ground there. So really across, I think, 40 or so different markets. Okay. Couple of quick, you're asking for very quick answers on this one. Are people warming to the idea of crypto investing despite the slump in the markets, or is it a little bit of a slower take up? In other words, during a bull market, people kind of jump on board, right? I think there's still a slower, slower take up, but as we discussed earlier, we are seeing, we're looking at the data, we're seeing customers. Uh, the average transaction size is uh, increasing. Customers are holding on for longer periods, and that's a sign that there's a little bit more sophistication, uh, you know, into it. And that's whilst we don't have any financial advisors being allowed to to to, to advise, you know, customers around allocations or investment size, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I do think so. Yes. Okay. Last question: What can we expect from Luno in the next year? I see that you've got. You said you got, you're offering now ten cryptos. I counted twenty five, but I mean, there's there's cross pairs there, so yeah. uh, it it would be like uh, Solana against the USDC, the stablecoin, uh, or against the rand, right? Yeah, Kieran. So more of the same around building trust. So big focus on compliance. Big focus on 
obtaining licenses and registrations in markets where we have to we think that the investment use case will still be probably the prominent one over the course of next year. So we are looking at different ways in which giving our customers more choice in, in terms of how they can invest. So we discussed multi-buy, but we probably also look at you know things like bundles in the future. Right? So making it easier for people to get exposure to the industry or to certain utility tokens or tokens of different utility as opposed to having to buy each token individually. There is also you know, automating investments so that customers or investors can automatically purchase or invest in crypto on a monthly basis. And that's synonymous with the, the traditional investment world. Giving customers more choice around earn. So we have savings wallets already, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDC. But we've added proof of stake tokens recently in Solana and, and Cardano and also Ethereum 2.0. So we'll probably look at staking, giving customers more choice to yeah, uh, options to earn. Staking for people who are not familiar with yeah. crypto is the way that you earn uh, interest on your crypto, right? Yeah, you can you, you can you can see it like that. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's basically you know locking your crypto in for a period yeah. of time, yeah, um, and you get rewarded with some of that crypto. Correct. And then you've got the the niche use cases like the transact use case, so enabling people to spend their crypto. Although the reality is that most holders, hodlers don't want to spend their crypto. Um, they want to hold on, and for many reasons. There's tax liabilities when you spend your crypto, and you know it's not that easy to, to buy coffee still. There are a lot of really, really cool projects currently underway around the Lightning Network in South Africa as well. Um, so we're keeping a very close eye on the transact use case. But I think you know, for probably the most of next year, the focus will still be on invest. Yeah. Where is your team main, mainly based? Is it Joburg or Cape Town? Cape Town, Kieran. So we've got an office in, in, in the Cape Town CBD. Um, but since 2019, we'll also have a Joburg office. So we've got a growing team in Johannesburg, probably just over 100 team members. We also follow a hybrid work approach. So the teams work remotely as well as in, in office. And, and so since that approach, we've actually have team members spread across South Africa, you know, from George to Potch of Sturm to, to many other small towns. <laughs> you got a team in Potch as well. <laughs> okay. Marius Reitz, General Manager for Africa at Crypto Exchange Luna. Thanks so much for coming to the studio right here in Johannesburg for the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Enjoyed it too. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.